This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property, be it what's happening in the market, what's happening locally, nationally and internationally. Thank you for joining us today. You can hear I'm a little bit croaky. It's not a a husky presenter voice, it is just a husky presenter. So there we go, a little bit of the cold season going around at the moment, but we'll just push on and we'll move through and I'm sure that you'll forgive me. So just a bit of local news to start with, not directly property related, just indirectly property related. They've drafted a compromise situation on the Summerhill Drive car parking and cycle lanes. So they're looking at buffered cycle lanes that will be provided along the increasingly busy Palmer's North commuter route that includes Summerhill Drive. And there's going to be an extra quarter of a million, more or less, added to the budget to provide indented parking bays. You see, there was quite a bit of community pushback against the plans to remove a third of the 344 on-street parking spaces on a 540-metre stretch of Summerhill Drive. So that's now gone back to look at the situation where parks will be indented instead, and that's and my, widening the footpath to cater for cyclists as well. So there's plenty of pros and cons. We'll see where that one goes, but just a bit of an update there that they've drafted a compromise which might be a wider footpath and indented car parks. But really it's just a matter of uh, making sure that things flow. It is a increasingly busy road as more properties are built out that way, past Massey there, and so it's nice to see that they're addressing, trying to have that as a separate lane, so therefore much safer. In terms of other projects that are happening, and these things do impact on property, albeit around the value or the perceived value of properties in an area, and this is to do with Memorial Park, uh, the playground being finished. It's looking uh, looking very good, but they've run low on money. So this article from Stuff in the Manor 2 Standards says, push to raise money to get Memorial Park playground finished. Would be great to have it open for summer, however... They're also waiting for people to hold off as there are fundraising applications being considered. So the construction of the new playground and splash pad started in May, but it stalled after they were unable, they being the council, were unable to secure the remaining 235000 needed to finish the project. So at the moment, many of you will know the construction site's fenced off, but the skate rink, public toilet and grassy area by the duck pond are still accessible. It's actually quite good to go and have a look to see what they're doing down there, even though it has stopped just at the moment. So they're just seeing where that goes, um, but it's possible that the contributions towards the upgrades could come from public uh, funding. We'll just have to wait and see what happens there. The council saying, hold off for now. But uh, there are certainly people out there that are keen to chip in a little bit if it means uh, having this uh, park completed for summer. Now another article here relating to Palmas North cyclists. This one says, Feedback sought on Palmas North Cycleway Trail. The Palmas North cyclists are set to get another cycleway through the city with feedback sought on what the trial version should look like. So the council's working to start a trial of a separated cycleway on Main Street between Botanical Road and Pitt Street. It's part of the Innovating Streets programme, 
which Waka Kotahi NZ Transport Agency is funding most of. The program is funding actually a range of work in the city and that includes making the Ruha Street approach to Hiara Kotahi, the bridge across the Manotu River, safer. That's lovely, that area down there, I must say. So the City Council Strategy and Planning General Manager David Murphy said businesses and residents along the section of Main Street had been given a letter about the trial. So it'd be interesting to see where that goes. If you're a cyclist, it would be interesting to think uh, uh, to get your feedback on that. But it's nice to have uh, some safer infrastructure going in. Another thing that is interesting in the same scope is that the Fielding to Palmerston North link for walkers and cyclists is finally underway. Now, this, when I read this headline, I thought, man, that's, that's awesome. You know, we're going to have the ability to cycle or walk between Fielding and Palmerston North safely. It's going to be a shared pathway. It's been in the planning stages with local authorities since 2007, but the external funding has been needed to get the construction underway. So the NZTA considered the track a low priority and didn't approve funding this July, the Manawatu District Council began building its 42 kilometre stretch of track along Campbell Road on November 23rd. Former Te Araroa Manawatu Trust Chairman Frank Coldingham was pleased 13 years of hard work and patience from the community and council was finally paying off. He said it will be terrific, we're starting to think it might not happen for another decade. So it's interesting to see what's going to, uh, what's going to happen there. The Trust has been concerned for the safety of trail users since it merged with the busy main highway between Fielding and Bunnythorpe. So the new shared pathway will provide a sealed track safely separated from highway motorists by a grass verge, and that's fantastic. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, the work is expected to be completed on the first kilometre of council-owned land by the end of January. The remaining 3.2 kilometres belong to Kiwi Rail and they'd agreed to let the pathway be built on railway land, but the council still negotiating specific requirements for its construction. So we'll watch that, uh, watch that space and, and see what's happening. So there's a few things happening that just, just are making Palmerston North in particular a safer place um, and a more enticing place to live. And in other news with regards to the market itself, we'll go now to the national side of things. And there's three things we're going to talk about today, the first of which is housing stock. What does that mean? It's like how many houses are actually for sale? Now, nationally, this time, compared to November of last year, uh, they compare November to November, a 16.9% decrease. So people just simply aren't selling houses. Now, in the Manawatu Wanganui, that decrease is 38.4%. Incredible. Now, why? are people not selling houses? Well, the answer is because the value in those houses is going up so much. And I've been seeing in my line of work many people who are choosing to rent out their properties rather than where they may have traditionally have sold them. So, for example, if they're moving, upsizing, downsizing, moving out of the area, traditionally they may have sold, but now they are keeping hold of things. So there are, there are no exceptions apart from Gisborne where they had more properties available uh, this time when compared to this time last year. But every other region in the country was either uh, kept the same or numbers were down. What does that do? It puts the prices up, of course. And so the next thing to talk about is that the property asking price in November uh, is on average around the country 797000 So that's the asking price. That's not median values that we're normally talking about, but that's where they're being marketed. 
Now, compared to just October of this year, that's a 3.2% increase. And even Manawatu Wanganui, the uh, average asking price there is... 525,821. So that's quite a a change from recent years. In terms of new listings, new listings coming on the market in November 2020, uh, when compared to November 19, there's a 14.5% increase nationally, although here in Manawatu, Wanganui, we're down by 9%. So less new properties coming on the market at the moment than what there was this time a year ago. So I'm going to take a moment to talk uh, across a couple of articles about the housing market at the moment. CoreLogic, for example, had this article on stuff saying housing shortage fuel for market fire. And Judith Collins, it says, spoke to reporters and politicians uh, as politicians return to Wellington for the first day of the new parliament. It's no surprise that the ongoing shortage of stock around New Zealand appears to be driving the housing market ever upwards. And Really, the interesting thing I wanted to pull out of this article was nationwide the property value growth accelerated by 2.1% in November compared to uh, October. So just in one month, nationally, property values have gone up 2%. So 1% of 100,000, of course, is 100, 2% 200. So for every $100,000 of property, uh, that's been um, going up by thousands just in one month. It's really quite incredible. So what's going to happen with the market is the, is the question and we'll, we'll cover a little bit more of that uh, as we go on. Another article here, uh, Auckland sales at a five-year high, Barfoot says. So Auckland's biggest real estate agency said it has had its busiest month in five years in November. Barfoot and Thompson sold 1,551 properties. That's up 17.6% on October and 61.6% increase on those sold in November of 2019. Barfoot and Thompson Managing Director Peter Thompson said buyers are not being put off by current prices or concerns about whether residential property will hold its value in the months ahead. He says, Buyers are convinced that the time is right to buy and if they have the support of their bank, and can meet repayments they're prepared to commit. So November's average price came in at just over a million dollars. This is for Auckland region, which was up 9.6% on the average price the same time last year, and incredibly up 10.8% on June when the market started to pick up. So that's something that's really largely uh, regionalised to the Auckland area, but still interesting nevertheless. Another article in Lifestyle section of of Homes says the housing crisis, what's happening and where are all the affordable homes? And again it highlights that the median house price in Auckland has rocketed to a million dollars making housing history in October and the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand Chief Executive Bindi Norwell said that uh, it's really making housing history. But 10 other regions also hit record median price highs. Gisborne saw a whopping 34.1% increase in October 2020 compared to the same time in 2019. Wellington saw a 20.8% increase year on year. And I talked about uh, where the people in Wellington are moving to that can no longer afford property in last week's show. 
And while national, nationally the median house price rose almost 20% to 725 So this article's about you know, what's going on, uh, which Kiwis are getting more bang for their buck when it comes to affordable homes. So they sort of have a look at things. But what I want to pull out of this situation is really what's happening in some of the regions. So the median price of a house across the country in New Zealand is 725 according to Real Estate Institute data. So let's have a look at some areas where it might be a bit more affordable. Gisborne District, the median house price 570000 In Central Hawke's Bay, median house price 465000 And in New Plymouth, 521000 At least that's in the district. Palmer's North City, the median house price is now 619500 Such a change compared to with what it used to be, and Wellington City up to 876000 So many of us shake our heads when we see these prices, yet supply and demand means that they will continue to rise. So here's a couple of cheaper areas, uh, arguably cheaper. There's uh, the Buller District, median price 234500 Westland 415000 even Christchurch 526 in Christchurch City itself. Invercargill City around 369,000. So many of the regions are seeing growth by people moving out of the, uh, the larger cities, trying to find something that's a bit more affordable. And what people are finding in many cases when they move to these areas is that they really enjoy the lifestyle. I've been speaking to a lot of people who have been moving to the Manawatu from the likes of Auckland and so forth, who after they've been here for a period think it's wonderful. So easy to travel around um, and easy to, um, to to catch up with people that they know. So here's outside of some of the major cities though, let's look at the North Island, uh, the South Waikato, median price 350 Stratford District 325, Rangitike District 365. So there's still plenty of options there if people do want to get in on the property market. What we've also been finding is that people are investing in these areas to get better rates of return. So we'll actually go to a little bit of music now. Uh, I've got a, I feel this one's a bit lively and should get us uh, going. I'll let it stand for itself and you can just play Guess the Song. This is Greg on Property Matters. Here we go. Oh, hell, the little things you say and do Make me want to be with you Rain on, it's a crazy feeling And I know it's got me reeling When you say I love you Feeling and I, I know it's got me feeling when you say 
you're back on Property Matters. You're listening on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo, Irirangi o Ngā Tangata o Manawatu. So it's lovely having your company. That was, of course, Buddy Holly with Rave On. So I just wanted something a bit lively today and uh, liven up the day a bit. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, now, before the break, we was, I was talking about people moving out of Auckland and looking for a, a nicer or more affordable lifestyle. And what we've found is that uh, there's quite an article on Stuff Lifestyle that talked about multiple examples of people who are um, moving out of the area. So really, um, one thing that was interesting was it occurred to me how many people from Auckland are actually moving around mm-hmm. the rest of the country. And so Stats New Zealand uh, has looked into this and imagine this, that moving out of Auckland – 12,600 people to other parts of New Zealand. Isn't that incredible? So let's consider that the average household might have three people. That's 4,000 homes. 4,000 homes required around the country that were uh, surplus to what might have been otherwise expected. And even if there's four people per home, that's still 3,000 homes. And if you divide it up amongst some of those regions, we're talking hundreds of properties. So I found that quite interesting that there's as many as 12,600 people, according to Stats NZ, who have moved from Auckland to the remainder of the country. Here's some other news. Complaints about real estate agents at an all-time low. Now, this is really good to hear because... The law was changed some time ago to make sure it was very much consumer-focused, that people had every opportunity to make complaints and to make it a lot more user-friendly. So they've created this environment now where it's when you list a house, you're very much educated on the complaints process and so forth. So the, the number of complaints is down to 288 formal complaints And that number's down 37% on 10 years ago when that law was brought in. So that's really good to see that, that, uh, and hopefully that's not just an anomaly, that uh, part of the changes with the law that came in at the time were that real estate salespeople and agents had to do a lot more ongoing education, which which is great. They do 10 hours of compulsory and 10 hours of voluntary or... um, yeah, I guess, of, of supplementary learning during a year. So that's something, and, and as well as that, much more focus on consumers. So complaints are down. If you were looking at building, this article from Stuff Business says that house building costs are set to rise as labour shortages and supply constraints bite. So we're in this catch-22 where we need more housing but not enough people to build them. The residential building costs look likely to head higher early next year as a shortage of skilled staff and difficulty sourcing supplies puts upward pressure on costs at a time when demand is surging. The latest QV cost builder report from Quotable Value shows the average cost of building a home in the six main centres rose on average by 2% in the year to October. That's lower than the 2.4% rate last year and the 4.9% rate the year before after building work stalled during lockdown and uncertainty around future kept a bit of a lid on the wage rates. But it's definitely going to be higher than that next year by the looks of things. So interesting that with your there's a lot of new builds out there, even investors are buying new builds. And an interesting thing about buying, a, for example, a land and home package if you're an investor is that you pay for it upon or when you when you agree 
to the plans and agree that you pay at that stage. Now if it takes months to be built, chances are the value of the property has actually gone up significantly um, considering those national figures I mentioned earlier of properties going up 20%. Nationally, the median house price around the country would indicate that if you, you signed up to build a house tomorrow but it's going to take some time before it's actually built, then you're getting some equity build up there. And speaking of investors and and residential property investors, IRD has been cracking down on investors who are shirking the Brightline test. Now what's the Brightline test? The Brightline test is if you buy buy and sell an investment property within a certain period, and uh, that's a two-year period if a property was sold within two years, between October 2015 and March 2018, or if you've bought a place since then and sold it within five years, um, then if, if you've bought after the end of March, then you need to pay tax on that. So IRDs changing the way they do things. They're now matching tax returns with property transactions and they're contacting those who might be affected. So if you've been not paying those tax on the gains that you've made and it is just effectively a capital gains tax, then uh, they'll be following up. Uh, they estimate the IRD that up to 25% of investors might not have paid their relevant tax. So good that they're clamping down on that. Fear's fair for everybody. Now this article came across my desk. This is interesting, from Radio New Zealand and uh, quoted on stuff.co.nz. Homes to start losing access to insurance within 15 years, according to a report. Tens of thousands of properties and billions of dollars are at stake over vulnerable coastal properties. Uh, And homes on parts of New Zealand's coast will begin losing access to affordable insurance within 15 years, according to this report. Wellington will be hit first and Christchurch the hardest, but all four major cities will be affected, according to new research led by climate and insurance specialist Belinda Storey for the Deep South National Science Challenge. By 2050, at least... 10,000 homes in our biggest cities will be effectively uninsurable. However, spiking premiums and policy exclusions could start being felt as soon as a decade from now, it concluded. Why is this? Well, in Wellington, just 12 centimetres of sea level rise could see the average premiums more than quadruple for about 1,700 homes, the report estimates, if insurers fully price the increased risk into properties. At those levels, people may effectively find they have no insurance cover. Story said that people in safer parts of New Zealand seem to be subsidising the riskier locations, but there would be intense pressure to change that as climate change altered the patterns of risk. Now this is only relevant, of course, if you believe that the the sea levels are rising and, um, and, and how fast. I'm not sure if it's something that will happen in a particularly timely fashion. But nevertheless, uh, they said that in Auckland, 540 homes are in the risk zone, and insurance premiums to cover the flooding would be five times as large as today, reaching around $10,000 a year. Incredible. Christchurch and Dunedin have the largest numbers of homes affected by these premiums that could quadruple or worse. At least 4,850 homes in Christchurch and 3,100 in Dunedin. Now, of course, this is sort of a bit on the theoretical side, but it's just something to be aware of, that they are starting to model these things. Insurance companies are taking into account where you might buy and what insurance effects that may have. So if you're looking at buying coastal property, something to consider is uh, where it is related to the the current sea level and, and water level.
So now, just in brief, we're going to have a look at uh, some bad landlord, bad tenant situations. This is more in the bad landlord category here. So the article from stuff.co.nz says, Auckland tenant's bathroom tap leaked for six months before it was fixed. Tenants Rajendra Singh and Mohini Lataraj put up with the tap and the Papatoetoe property leaking continuously from February 2020 until July. Now, why is this an issue? It's because in Auckland, uh, tenants pay for water. So therefore, if it's wasted, they need to get it fixed. So landlord Haran and Co Limited said they had asked the rentals owner, Rising, multiple times to fix the tap. There was an arrangement no work could be carried out without the owner approving the work first, the tribunal noted. Adjudicator Tony Prowse said six months was an unreasonable amount of time to take to repair the tap. She gave Singh and Raj $260 to compensate them for the broken tap and extra water they would have been liable for over six months. However, she ordered that Heron and Company to pay the tenants $550, equivalent of one week's rent, for the owner breaching the quiet enjoyment. Why? Because it came after the owner went to the house before the tap was fixed and gave the tenants false details on two occasions. One of the tenants was preparing the food in the kitchen when she noticed him looking around the home. I'm satisfied the owner of the property breached the tenant's enjoyment of the property by omitting to tell the tenant that he was the owner and telling a tenant the false name when she asked. Jeez, you see all sorts, I tell you what. The tenant told me that she felt vulnerable and powerless. The incident made her very upset and she felt powerless about who she could let into her home. Prowse noted in her decision the owner asked Heron and company to issue tenants with a breach notice for the way they were keeping the house as he thought it was a fire risk. It was noted that the tenants had moved from a four-bedroom house to a two-bedroom house and they had a lot of boxes stacked against the walls. Singh and Raj also had to fork out for a cooktop and small oven because the one inside their Pepitoito rental was broken. They claimed the oven wasn't working at the start of the tenancy, so purchased a cooktop and a small oven to roast and bacon. The landlord, or property manager, accepts that it knew the oven wasn't working but did not take te- steps to provide a new oven as the tenant had purchased a cooktop. So even though the landlord was told that the tenant had purchased their own stovetop, the landlord still had no obligation to provide the tenant with a working stove that allowed baking and boiling. Sorry, still had an obligation sorry about that, to provide a stove that was allowed baking and boiling. So there was compensation paid out for that as well. And here's another one. Auckland tenants take on their landlord over excessive pooling water. So an Auckland landlord whose property had excessive pooling water pooling must reimburse his tenants $1,112 damage, damage and loss of use of amenities. Anatalia Andrew Stowers sought compensation and damages from landlord Chris Wang and property manager LDW Property Management over a leaking stormwater pipe and a tradesperson unlawfully entering the property. He also claimed the landlords unlawfully terminated the tenancy and sought reimbursement from the tenants for not lodging the bond for the property in Glen Eden. Stowers told the property manager before he, his wife Lucilla and the family moved that he was concerned about water pooling in the carport and basement according to the tenancy tribunal decision. He was told the problem would be fixed when they moved in, but it wasn't. He discovered the kitchen laundry sinks drained into the basement. Oh, <laughs> my word. Oh, no. Found mould in an under-sink area and said his wife's cast area had been damaged from the water from the link leak. The sink problem was fixed, but there was still water in the carport area, which got quite deep and smelt bad, the tribunal was told. As a result, the family could not use the carport or the basement. Wang told the tribunal that the water could get 12 to to 15 centimetres deep when it rained, but it drained when the rain stopped. 
while both tenant and landlord disagreed about the course of the link, the adjudicator R. Key said it did not matter. I find the pooling of water was excessive and it was a maintenance issue that should need to be fixed. Whether the pooling was due to a leak or flooding, the pooling should not have occurred, and I find the landlords failed to maintain the premises in this regard. The landlords got tradespeople to dig trenches, but Stowers said the workers caused about $150 worth of damage to taro plants, it was dangerous for their kids to play outside and so forth. So the tribunal awarded $650 to the, for, for the tenants or to the tenants for the loss of amenity and found the landlords breached their obligation to maintain the property, which carried maximum damages of $4,000. So finally it was ruled that Wang had to pay, pay Stowers $2,600 for reimbursement of the bond, which was not lodged by the previous property manager. Key said Wang did not have to pay damages because it was not proven that he intentionally committed the unlawful act. But just be very careful out there when making these decisions. And it's been uh, lovely having your company today. We'll catch you again where all good podcasts are found or here on NPR Manawa Two People's Radio next week. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.